Battleline podcast. Every episode of Battleline, we talk to uh, every now and again, we'll do a guest for episode, but we talk to different members of special operations community, military community, former border patrol agents like Gary Brugman, who also served in the Coast Guard, and occasionally people from uh, other walks of life, like musicians and that type of thing. So uh, if you're a regular listener, you know, it's usually myself, Ian Scotto and Chris Tonto Peranto. Occasionally Tonto's got other things going on. He's out of state. And this is one of those episodes. But I'm very excited to have Gary Brugman back on the podcast. I know that he's a favorite of many of you guys, many of you guys who listen. Uh, Before we get to Gary, I got to tell you, CBD, that is my nighttime ritual right there. A ritual is a daily practice that helps you stay grounded. It's an intentional act where you take a few minutes to reconnect with and take care of yourself. Daily routines are mundane and make you feel stuck in a rut. Daily rituals, however, are meaningful and help you become the person you want to be. Transforming your life can be as simple as bringing more attention to the things you do every day. So get present, slow down and check in in your five senses. Think positive, take a deep breath and say affirmations and connect with your North Star. Smile and think about what really matters. So for me, taking the 300 milligram full spectrum hemp, that's what I take at night. I had it last night. It helps me get a great night's sleep and wake up refreshed. They also do have a nighttime blend, but for me, that actually works perfectly. That does the trick, but all of their products are great from their bombs to their nighttime blends and just regular full spectrum hemp because you're getting the purest hemp out there. These products are science-backed nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. They're helping people with post-traumatic stress, depression, anxiety, And in many cases, like mine sometimes, sleeplessness, where your mind is just racing and you need something to calm down, that's not going to get you high. That's not addictive. Ned CBD is cold extracted from the world's purest USDA certified organic hemp in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. They have full transparency. Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products and their extraction process, all right there on their site. Ned CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, so become the best version of yourself and get 15% off Ned products as a first-time customer when you use the code BATTLELINE. Go to helloned.com slash BATTLELINE or enter BATTLELINE at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash BATTLELINE to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. I was just talking about nighttime rituals. My daily ritual or my pre-workout ritual is I don't do any of that pre-workout stuff. I just like to have my beard vet coffee. And I got to tell you, I'm always skeptical with any coffee. I'm very particular about what I like. I like kind of that dark roast and yeah, Beard Vet definitely does it for me. It is some of the best coffee I've ever had. I'm an iced coffee person, so I brew it, put it in the refrigerator, and it's been my go-to. So roasted in the heart of America in Omaha, Nebraska, traditional and unique flavors in ground, whole bean or grunt cups, K-cups, and beard kits. They also have, yeah, beard oil. They have soap, great, uh, great uh natural soap that you could use that's not going to have those added parabens and things that have been linked to cancer in men um, and smells great. So we select a veterans charity every month. That's what they do at Beard Vet. 
and they give back. They've given back to the 14th Hour Foundation, for example. Sean, the CEO, is a Marine, a DAV lifetime member, and an equestrian helper. His wife, Amy, is a trainer. So check them out, guys, and check out their stuff. Order some of their coffee, order some of their beard oil, and you're helping us out, and you're also helping out a great veteran-owned company, beardvet.com. Use the promo code TANTO, and you'll get 10% off. That's TANTO for 10% off, and spell it right, T-A-N-T-O. I know a lot of you guys misspell that one. It's T-A-N-T-O, at beard underscore vet on Twitter, at Team Beard Vet on Instagram, beardvet.com, promo code Tonto. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. podcast uh on with me for this episode is great friend of the show gary brugman former u.s border patrol agent and coast guard veteran uh as many of you know pardoned by president trump on december 23rd uh originally on episode 11 that was the first time where i got to meet you in studio you've been a friend of chris for a long time though and then returned for episode 65 after the invite to the white house so Gary Brugman, great to speak with you again, although I get to speak with you occasionally on the phone and stuff. We've been meaning to do this, and it, it finally kind of lined up. Dude, it's great to be on here with you again, man. I, I really, really appreciate you having me on so many times. I, this, this is my third time on the podcast. I love it. Yeah, it's not. Well, for one, it's not a big deal, and it's over, it's over the course of a while now, pretty much from when we started the show to now, and you've been listening since episode one. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I get a lot of emails of people who want to come on, and it, I didn't really know you from anyone else when you first contacted me. And then when I got to meet you in studio, I was, and hear your story in its entirety. It was just like, man, this is a remarkable story for actually for people who didn't listen because we have so many new listeners from back in episode on episode 11. Um, you know, I, we got into real detail in there and people could always listen back. But if someone's like completely unfamiliar, you want to give them the background of what happened to you at border patrol and, why you were a felon for quite some time. Absolutely, brother. <clears throat> well, you know, originally, you know, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, born and raised in New York City, uh, served nine years in the Coast Guard. And what's amazing is when I joined the Border Patrol, it was the third time, uh, third time is a charm that I tried to join the Border Patrol. And it's not that they didn't accept me. Uh, the first time, Hurricane Andrew came through and I never got my acceptance letter because it wiped out my apartment complex. The second time, um, 
the timing wasn't right. I had to either get out of the Coast Guard and not have a job and hope I get called or um, re-enlist. So I, so I extended my enlistment. Two weeks later, I got my letter and I was like, darn, <laughs> you know, maybe it was damn, but whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then the third time was great because uh, it, timed, it timed so perfect, Ian. I got discharged from the, honorably discharged from the Coast Guard on February 22nd, 1998, which was a Sunday. And Monday morning at 10 a.m., I was swearing in the Border Patrol in Del Rio, Texas. So I spent 10 hours unemployed. Um, I was an agent for out in the field for about three and a half years. And in January 2001, uh, I pushed an illegal alien on the ground. I chased a group of 15 illegal aliens, yelling for them to stop the whole time in Spanish. Parense, parense, chase them for about a mile and a half in a pecan orchard at night. Uh, trainee agent caught the group. He, he got ahead of me in the vehicle. He caught the group. Was trying to get them to sit down. Some were sitting and some were standing to his left, but there were two behind him that were squatted with their bags and they were doing this number. And I didn't know if they were going to jump the agent or if they were going to take off running. They had already been technically apprehended. So it would have been an escape. So I ran up to, to where they were, put my hand on my weapon with my foot. I pushed them to the ground and uh, told them to sit down. Pretty much, I just knocked them on their ass. And uh, apparently, I violated their civil rights in doing so, Ian, because after that, I was put under investigation for 18 months. Nobody ever told me what it was about until the 14th month. Four months before my trial, I got a letter from the uh, Department of Justice saying I was a target of investigation. And all they gave me was a name. And what was really crazy, Ian, is um, that happened January 14th. 2001, nine months before 9-11. On February 22nd, which now that I think about it was my anniversary, on February, oh, wow. 20, on February 22nd of 2001, I was working a midnight shift and me and my partner went to assist some other agents that were positive 46. That's narcotics. They, they, they had seven mules coming across with backpacks. By the time we got there, they had jumped the load. Everybody was scattering. We got five of the seven. Two were missing. And I, the, the infrared camera tower was guiding me into where the other two were. They were off in another field. So I had to hop a fence and there was tall grass. The grass was, I'd say, off the top of my head, probably about two feet high. <clears throat> and um, I started walking towards them. It's 4.30 in the morning. And they saw me coming and they got up and started running. And again, I'm giving chase, full bore, body armor, gear, 38 pounds of gear. Parense, parense. They came up to a barbed wire fence banged the right because they weren't going to get over because I was going to get them both. They banged the right, chased them by another 100 yards. One of them went through the fence in between the strands like Superman. It's about a 12-inch gap. It's pretty impressive to watch if you ever get to see it. They Right in between the strands. And then the other guy, I was too close to him, so he hit the fence and flopped over, and I did the same thing. I said, fuck it, I got body armor. I'm going over. We're all on the ground on the other side. First guy gets up and runs. He got away. The second guy that was right in front of me is getting up. I get him by the legs. We start tussling. Next thing I know, I got my feet in the stars in the same picture. And this dude body slams me on the ground, gets on top of me and starts choking me out. I took a swing at him. I miss. He pinned my hand on the ground. Now he's got one hand on my neck. This hand's on the ground. I got him by the collar like this, trying to keep the pressure off my neck so I don't pass out. And I'm going, holy shit, I'm losing. <laughs> I'm losing this fight. And... So many things went through my mind. Um, I, 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 as I tell you this, and I say it every time, I can still smell his body over there and taste his sweat because he was dripping sweat right onto my face from running. And um, 
<clears throat> he was wearing a polo shirt and I looked at like this button and I thought to myself, if I can get to my gun, that's where I'm going to put the bullet. I, um, I also thought that if I get my gun out, he's going to take it away from me because I was losing this fight. So I did the only thing I had. I did, I did the only thing I could possibly do left. I yelled out, God, please help me. <laughs> you know, and I managed to break right then and there. I managed to break this hand free, hit him on the side of the head. He fell over. I rolled over on top of him and he started reaching at my gun belt, trying to grab stuff off my gun belt. So I wound up and punched him three times in the face and broke his nose until he's officer, please don't hit me no more. And I was like, stop fighting, you son of a bitch. Just like that in Spanish. But no pelees, puto. <laughs> you know, and uh, he's, he, he gave up. We took him to the station. Next thing I know, I'm behind the desk for 18 months. And when I got get, getting back to that target letter at, at month 14, the guy that I thought I was under investigation for the drug smuggler. So his name was in, in Spanish. It's Miguel Angel, Miguel Angel, right? Rodriguez Silva. The guy I pushed on the ground was Miguel Angel Jimenez Saldana. They had the same wow. first. Yeah. I don't so you know. I, you may have. It's been a while. You may have told me this back on episode 11. That detail yeah, I don't remember. And that that detail is crazy. I just don't remember it. Yeah. And, and it confused the heck out because I was like, I'm looking at the date, January. And, and, you know, for the past 14 months at this time, I've been replaying this over and over in my head. I was like, I used every single use of force I could. You know, officer presence, verbal commands, soft, empty hand, hard, empty hand. I was like, I didn't kill him. So, you know, and I apprehended him. So I used the minimum amount of force necessary to compel compliance and over and over, never knew what I did wrong. And then I find out that it's not even him. It took me four days to figure out why I was, there. I was like, this is the dude I pushed on the ground. And you know how many dudes we push on the ground all the time that don't want to sure. comply? Yeah, it, it took me for the only way that I found out who it was because I went back through the, the muster sheets and I found out who I was working with a year and a half ago. And I was like, that's the guy I pushed on the ground. So they prosecuted me for that and um, went to trial. And they spent one day on the guy that I pushed on the ground. I was like, man, they don't even have a case. Is this over now? It was very, very next morning. The trial after jury selection trial started at noon on a monday tuesday at 10 30 they were just about done with the witnesses and everything for this guy i pushed on the ground i was like this is this is what two almost two years of my life has been for then they approached the bench they started arguing about something lawyer comes back goes they're bringing him in i'm like who they they ridded the drug smuggler out of prison to come testify against me he said he sat on the stand and say oh yeah he kicked my ass but Ian, when he walked into the courtroom, I was arguing. My, I said, they can't do that. It's got nothing to do with this. And the doors walked in. Uh, the, the doors opened. He walked in. He scanned the room and he saw me. And he, and the whole time he walked to the bench, eyeballing me, I stood up at, at ready. He got up there, swore in, sat down. I sat down, crossed my arms. And for the next four hours, Ian, it was me and him on point. And they, they'd ask him a question. He would turn his head, answer the question, turn right back to me for the for four hours, man. And then when he walked out, I stood up again and he walked out and I sat back with a U.S. Marshal in tow, no less. U.S. Marshal was behind him, though, because he was technically still in custody. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, the judge, after the jury vacated, um, asked, Mr. Brogan, what was that all about? And I was like, excuse me, Your Honor. He goes, what's with the standing? And, you know, I was like, well, Your Honor, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to kill you. But if they have and they put them in the same room with you, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be sitting down either. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I mean, I, when I saw him, all, all I saw was red. I was like on guard, you know, and, and anyway, yeah, no, I was going to say because, you know, and, and I want to get to like what happened since. And, and you know, people mm-hmm. are definitely going to be able to listen back to that episode where you were with your lawyer. But I do think it's an important detail, like what you went through when you actually went to prison for this. So. When that when that guilty verdict came down, it I'm I'm literally gonna tell you it felt like a bucket of warm water got poured on me. Not hot, not cold, literally lukewarm water. It felt it felt like I pissed my pants from the top to bottom. And um I stayed out on bond for a year pending an appeal, and I lost the appeal. Next thing I know, I got the marshals kicking my doors and they they hauled me off to prison. And they took me to a federal building here in San Antonio where I had been there to testify before as a federal agent. Now I'm now in there in the U.S. Marshal Office in handcuffs. They dragged me out of my house, pushed my then 70-something-year-old mom on the ground. Wow. <clears throat> um, and, uh, and I was mad. And I think I had, I had that night before. It was about 4.40 in the morning when they came. And I had just gotten home like a little, maybe 4 o'clock in the morning. And I was plastered. Me and my me and my buddies were out hanging out because I knew they were. I knew I was gonna have to self surrender. Didn't think they were gonna come knocking my door door down. So I had one of the best nights of my life. And then my friends were like, "Man, I had a bad hangover that night." I was like, "Dude, I had a two year hangover. I don't want to hear about it." Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know? so, they, so they brought me into the uh, to the marshals uh, to the federal building, and they were processing me. And there were some dudes being loud, and I had to tell them to chill out because I really was not in the mood to be listening to them. I said, you guys need to chill. We're going to have a big problem here. And the marshals, for the most part, treated me all right. Some treated me good. Some to them, I was an inmate. To others, I was somebody that got caught in the system. But they sent me to, uh, for four months, I was in a contract prison, GEO. It's one of those uh, outsourcing ones that, like where they send the illegal aliens, you know, just to like the contract civilian run prisons. And um, that that was that was one of the biggest nightmares because it was actually a prison cell on a run of like 12 cells. And we were out one hour a day to 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 take a shower and one at a time, not all together. So the doors would slide, the gates would slide open. I go take a shower, make a phone call at the public phone and then back in for the next 23 hours in in a cell. Uh, the bed was about two feet wide and I couldn't even do a push-up because I couldn't get my arms across. I had to do them like this. Hmm. Um, so I was there for a few months. Then they put me on Con Air, sent me to the transfer center in Oklahoma. And I was there for a couple of months. Then they sent me to Coleman, Florida, to a low. And the prison facility itself was nice. I mean, it's federal prison, but prison's prison. I don't care if they lock you up in the, in the Marriott. 
if they put you there for a year in a room and you can't come out, it's prison, you know. But uh, I ended up I ended up getting jumped there. Uh, the Mexicans wanted me to check back into the shoe. And I was like, no, I'm not going to the shoe. And they told me that you're not a. Uh, you're you're not out there in the brush with all your friends. You're locked up in here with us. I said, no. I said, I wasn't afraid of 40 of you out there in the brush. I ain't afraid of 40 of you in here, you know? So if it's go time, it's go time. And I went back to my cube and I was sitting there and I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> but um, I knew it was coming. Uh, some people in another unit told me that they were going to come get me. I had, a I had a lock in the sock. And when they came and get me, it went down. Uh, Ended up splitting a dude's melon. I didn't. I didn't catch a case for it because I was. Uh, I was technically the victim, but I did hurt somebody. So they upgraded me. I didn't. I didn't get any additional time. They took away some good time, and upgraded me and sent me to the penitentiary in Atlanta, the, the high security. So uh, I, I was there for about three and a half months. And while I was there, they burned the kitchen twice, stabbed two guards, and killed one inmate. Jeez, yeah. Then I got downgraded and I got sent to Yazoo City, Mississippi, which is where I finished out. And uh, after that, man, it was it was um, two years of supervised release, checking in with a probation officer for two years, and just trying to get my life back on track, man. Because once you're a border patrol agent, Ian, once you're a border patrol agent, there's nothing else that's challenging. You sure. Know? Nothing sure, no, you hear that a lot, especially from guys in the show, special operations guys. And I think that's why guys go through post-traumatic stuff, you know, because and I do say I say stuff because I know Chris will always say it's not uh, it's not a disorder. And, and I understand. And, and like Jeff DePazzi, we've had on the show, who always says post-traumatic growth. And I know he got that from someone. But um, yeah, I, I've, I've definitely heard that from other guys. And, and I just know for you, it was years of this basically being at the top of your resume convicted felon and and people don't know the details of the whole story and even when you told me the details i just think to myself there's a million people out there who are looking for a presidential pardon and you were going to trump rallies saying president trump pardon me you had signs mm -hmm. um you you got a lot of people on board including sarah carter who was later with you when you went to dc but i've said it before on the show and i'll say it again when you were on I thought there was no way this was going to happen. And then I remember, I actually remember that day, December 23rd, because a list, there was a list, it was before you said anything to me, released of President Trump pardons. And it was a lot of people. And I said, just for the hell of it, let me see if Gary Brugman is on here. I remember just Googling it on my phone. And sure enough, your name came up. And it was just, for me, someone who's just a friend of yours, an amazing, amazing feeling. And I know for you, you say it was the greatest Christmas present for you and for your mom. Did you, because we were at the very end there. And and look, we don't get too political on here, but we know for a fact that when Biden was getting in the White House, you were not getting a pardon. If right. it was going to happen, it was going to be under Trump's watch. Were you discouraged by this point or did you think there was a possibility something was going to happen? Well, I had a lot of, like you said, I, I've been at this for years. Since, yeah. I, I actually, since 2018, because I gave... Trump about a year and a half to settle into office. And then my, uh, my attorney who I got through my friend, Joe Pags here in San Antonio. Um, he took my case on bro uh, pro bono. And he was on that episode. If people want to listen back episode 11. Yeah. Lieutenant Colonel Jeffrey Atticott. He's, he's a pretty incredible person. He, he used to run a thing called the, uh, 
uh, uh, Center for Terrorism Law. And I think now it's called the Warrior Defense Project. So uh, he filed my petition and he went around talking, doing interviews. He went up there with me, met me up in New York to go. Because when you invited me on that first, on, on that episode 11, I was like, I'm not doing this over the phone. Because you weren't doing video yet. I was like, <laughs> people got to see my face. Yeah. <laughs> Ian has to see my face, <laughs> you know? So I was like, I was like, and we, I'm, and I'm, we connected right away. Like we're both yeah. fans of eighties rock and eighties metal. And, and I was like, I like this guy, but then hearing the story in its entirety, it was just, you know, but yeah, me, meeting you was great. Of course. And as you, it wasn't like you were just doing a podcast here and a podcast there, you were going to rallies, you were getting in the ears and, you know, in the faces of influential people saying, I need your help. And I had people helping me. I had border patrol agents when the president would go down to, uh, to the border they would print out my packet in case they got close to him. And, and if they couldn't, they give it to the secret service agents. Hey, can you try to get this to the president? And, you know, <laughs> let me see it. And then I had a friend that I grew up with in New York and she was up in New Hampshire and he was doing a bunch of rallies up there. And she would always print out five, six, seven copies of my, of my pardon petition. She gave it to uh, Corey Lewandowski like twice, gave it to Eric Trump, Pam Bondi, Donald Trump Jr., all his security, wherever she can get it. So eventually, according to, to my connection, when the president finally came down to sign my pardon, he looked at it and read it and said, why is this guy's name keep coming across my desk? <laughs> you know, why is this guy's name keep coming across my desk? And um, I was on my way to Fort Worth with my mom and I got a call and it was somebody that was helping me with, with, with the pardon. And he says, hey, something's come up on your background. We need to clear it up with the White House. And I'm like, what is it? And he's like, we'll talk later. I'm like, what is it? So 80 miles. Were you, later, were you off the top of your head? Were you thinking negative or positive? I was thinking positive until I got that phone call. No, I mean, I mean, did the phone call make you think something has come up? Like, were, were you in your head like this could be it? This could be the moment or oh, were you oh, like something? Oh, no. okay. he, he didn't make it sound like that. He said something came something, something came up on your background. We have to clear it up because we're trying to make this part and go through. So I was like, oh, what did I do? What yeah. I said, what did I do to screw myself up right now? You know, I said, could, 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 it, could it have been that Lieutenant Junior grade that I insulted back in, you know, in the Coast Guard? <laughs> I mean, what, what could it be? What, could it be an ex-girlfriend? What could it be? So I'm driving and I'm driving. And um, 80 miles later, I get a FaceTime and it's and, and, and it's and it's my 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 buddy that's helping me and his family. And I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, hey, we've got the White House on the phone. We need to talk to you. And I'm like, because we got to clear this up. Something came up in your background. I'm like, OK, he goes, go ahead and talk to so and so. And they said, Gary. And I was like, yes, ma'am. I said, what did I do? She goes, well, uh, I just wanted to tell you that on behalf of the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, I wanted to congratulate you on a full and unconditional pardon that he granted you about 45 minutes ago. I was like, are you serious? And she started reading me the press release. And I started crying and I had pulled over by this time. And my mom's like, what happened? My mom's 88 years old. She's like, what happened? Someone happened. I'm like, mom, this is good. It's okay. This is good. Listen. And she's reading me the press release and I'm in tears, man. I'm in tears. And, I, and, and as she's talking to me, my phone starts blowing up. My phone started because it was just released, you know? And, and, and I'll tell you what, Ian, I never knew that I had contact with so many people. That night, December 23rd, I found out about 7 p.m. I stopped answering my phone about four in the morning. And during the whole week, I got 
almost 3,000 phone calls. Wow. I got phone calls from agents that uh, that were telling me, hey, I've been in the patrol for 15 years and so-and-so was my instructor at the academy and you worked with him. I got calls from agents that said, you know, I've only been here two years, but I've worked with so-and-so. Or I even had a couple that said, you're the reason I joined the Border Patrol, you know? Wow. And uh, I got calls from uh, from a couple of congressmen. I got calls from friends I hadn't talked to in 10 years. And it just, and the text messages and everything, it was, it was overwhelming. And I tell you what, the next day, the next day, I was driving with my mom. And the sky was bluer. The air smelled cleaner. Even my freaking truck ran better. <laughs> you know, everything was, it was like a huge weight lifted off my shoulders and life was good. But it wasn't until about maybe three weeks later that I had left church. And I was sitting at Black Rifle Coffee here in Bernie, Texas. And I got out of the church and I just drove up there because it was a great day. And I'm sitting and Bernie's a small little, small little town. Uh, it's a pretty little town. And I got me a coffee and I got me a Warfighter uh, tobacco cigar right there. <laughs> nice. I got me some Warfighter. I got because they sell them there. I got me Warfighter tobacco. I got, and I lit it up. And I'm sitting out there and I'm drinking coffee and I'm smoking a cigar. It was such. There was a a, a, a Trump, uh, Trump parade going by. And once again, I couldn't help myself but start crying again because I finally felt the freedom. I finally felt what it was like to just like be free. And and I, at that moment, I had never felt like any more of an American. It was incredible. Yeah. Who who do you think made the most difference? Like, who do you think was the person that, you know, put it over the top? I, I know there was a bunch of people working on your behalf, but that Trump said, let's do this. I have I have a lot of people that have been doing it for a long time. And apparently he knew about it. And I got a little video. I'll, I'll, I'll text it to you. I don't know if I ever showed it to you. But um, there was one person at, at the White House. And I can't I can't disclose who it is, okay. but uh, they 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 literally walked it in and said, listen, you need to read this and sign this. And as soon as he read it, he was like, this person keeps coming across my desk and he read it and he said, absolutely. And he, he, he took him less than 10 minutes to sign it. What do you what do you think? I mean, because it's the interesting thing I will say is that when I heard about your case, I thought it was obvious that you needed to be pardoned. But. Part of me, and this is cynical of all politicians, I would say, I always feel like, what is it? How is it going to benefit them? That type of thing. Whether it was Bush or it was Trump or it was Obama, I think a lot of these pardons you could point to and you could say they have some type of benefit they're going to get out of this. Do you think for Trump, it was just 100% he felt you were in the right and this was the right thing to do? Did he get anything out of this? Nothing. He's yeah. got nothing out of it. From me from or from anybody, I had nothing to offer the man. And he's got no benefit from this whatsoever. And do you remember a case out of Maryland? Stephanie Moore, she was a Prince George's County uh, police officer. And she released her canine on somebody that was being aggressive and dog bit the crackhead woman, whoever it was, because it was a drug. Uh, it, it was a, a, a drug addict. I'm, I'm saying crackhead, but sure. Bit woman, she got she got sent to prison for eight years for violating her civil rights with the dog doing what she was supposed to because a person was an aggressive subject. He pardoned her too. So, and I believe he, he a, lot, a lot of the things that he did, you know, I mean, Roger Stone, I can't comment on that. I don't know. 
but he did a lot of good things for a lot of people. He pardoned two other agents, the ones in El Paso. He did not pardon Gilmer Hernandez, who was a sheriff's deputy in in uh, in Rock Springs, Texas, who's also a friend of mine. We were all prosecuted by the same prosecutor. So three of the four that this prosecutor put in jail, we got pardons. And I don't know why Gilmer they can get one, but but he's he's still fighting for his. Yeah. The the wild thing about the pardon too is, and people who listened to the last time you were on might remember this is. That every, I mean, for the past two years, really, we've been talking, you know, or not we, but the media, January 6th, January 6th, January 6th. For you, January 6th is a very different day because you weren't at the Capitol. You were at the actual White House. And that is where you got to, uh, you didn't meet Trump, right? But you got to, you were invited to the White House. Right. And basically were acknowledged that you were a free man. Right. I got invited to the white house i was supposed to meet the president it wasn't confirmed but they said there's a good chance you're going to meet the president he, he knows you're coming you know so uh was in the white house with sarah carter a couple of other friends and um on the way there we got there at 11 30 and he started talking at, at uh at noon but he left around 11 15 we saw his suburbans pulling out <clears throat> they called us and asked us what we wanted for lunch and uh well well, what, what can we have? Whatever you want. So I got a bacon cheeseburger. And they were like, yeah, you got it. And Sarah Carter had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> I got a picture of her munching on it. Dude, it's great. But um, yeah, so so we went up and we were hanging out in the White House in his cabinet member's office, you know, waiting. Uh, took a tour. Took half the tour. Had lunch because lunch was ready. We went and got it. And I forgot the name of the room, but it's, it, it looks it's, it's like it looks like an admiral's quarters. So we got our lunch. We went back up to the office. Nice. You know, you know, those offices on the hill, they're huge uh, couches and everything. So we're eating. They gave us some gift bags and a couple of coins. I love challenge coins. And um, (laughs) so I I had I wasn't eating. I had lost my appetite. And they're like, are you not hungry? I'm like, I got Harriers in my stomach. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm in the freaking White House. I, I might meet the president. So. We. Took a, we took a walk to the Roosevelt Room. I saw Roosevelt's uh, Nobel Peace Prize and a lot of the stuff on the walls. And then we went back, so I started eating my burger. And they're like, oh, you got hungry? I'm like, no, I'm just trying to eat it because when's the next time the White House is going to cook me a burger? <laughs> you know? So so I got down on it, and it was actually really good. And I didn't know there was Chef Rush that was there at the time, too. I've met Chef Rush several, Chef Rush several times since then at veterans events at Burbies and Vegas and here in San Antonio. He's a big, big dude, man. He's awesome. He, he cooked for uh, several administrations. You guys already know that Gary Brugman is a guy who loves his firearms. If you're watching video, you could see some of that in the background. He is all about that life. And he is a former border patrol agent. And those guys who are chasing down illegal aliens coming over the border in the middle of the night. They need the best night vision available. And that's why I've actually heard from members of Border Patrol who have now switched over to Photonis. And there's members of the special operations community who are using Photonis. Now you can have the superpower to see in the dark with the Viper binocular night vision system by Photonis Defense, which is the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high quality night vision capabilities than anyone. 
military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize photonics defense solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. They will help you master the darkness and become the master of darkness, which is their trademark. The new Viper binocular system carries the same features and benefits as the Photonis Defense Viper monocular with a ruggedized body and harnesses the power of the echo intensifier tubes, giving you sharper images, reduced halo, and industry-leading ultra-fast auto-gating across the range of dynamic operating conditions. So once again, hunters, shooters, boaters, and enthusiasts can rely on the Photonis Defense Viper binocular to become master of darkness. Visit photonisdefense.com for more information. That's P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S defense.com for more information or look for Photonis Defense product options from your night vision dealer. We're talking night vision. We're talking firearms. So we got to talk about the best ammo on the planet. I actually just received in the mail one of those badass sports cop munition tins just for the studio to have around here because those look awesome. They have a variety of different colors and different patterns. And um, yeah, they have like a don't tread on me one. They have a uh, gun owners of America one on there. So check out the options. I love those tins though. They're really cool. And then you got the ammo in there. You could bring that to the range. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition It's designed to tumble upon impact, their trademark in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in every state. Just click on the dealer locator on the website, but now you can also order on fsm.com. Check it out, fsm.com. Use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the Battle Line podcast. And if you're ordering ammo in bulk, if you're ordering a lot of different items, any of the merch, man, that 15% comes in handy. I just used it ordering one of the tins. So FSM.com, promo code BATTLELINE. You're showing support for the podcast, and you're also showing support for our great sponsors. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battle Line Tactical, and the Battle Line podcast. And with that, Let's get right back to a good friend of mine, Gary Brother. I've seen that guy because they featured him like what he eats in a day. I know who you're talking about. He's yeah. a black dude, right? Yeah, big black. Yeah, yeah, I've seen like him. Yeah. yeah, he's like every time I see him, I, I pull the you know that, that guy in the videos that like, always bumps into the. I pull that out of my mouth. He goes, "I'm gonna break you. I'm gonna." <laughs> break you. But um, but yeah, and and. Then while we were in there, we heard that the Capitol had been breached. And we we're like, what do you mean breached? They're like, they're breaking into the Capitol. And I'm like, okay. So we kind of got locked down in a section of it for a little bit. And then uh, we were allowed to leave. And that's when all hell broke loose, man. I, I, I went back to my hotel, which was a couple of blocks from there. And they pulled a curfew. And 
it was it was insane, man. I didn't get to meet the president because they brought him back and he went into like I don't know what they call it, the situation room or something. But, but um, but it was great. You were, to- you were probably like, I'm not getting involved in this. I don't need to yeah. have a second part. No, no, <laughs> no, I start I started walking towards that way and because I wanted to get some video for my podcast and stuff like that. But once I started hearing, you know, the flashbangs and stuff going off, I'm like, all right, I just got a part and don't need another one. I'm out. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I'm sure you got to like, just be careful of, of, you know, how you live your life now. But at the same time, you, as, as I can see for those, you know, more people listen, but for the people with the video, I mean, you have guns in your studio and like, this mm-hmm. is something you couldn't do for what about a decade. Oh no. For almost 20 years, man. So, yeah. so, so they, so they took my gun away in March of 2001 and I still have my rights. So once I got convicted in October of 2002, that's when I couldn't have any more guns. Yeah. So I, I'm wow. I'm forgetting how long ago it was. I'm forgetting the fact that it was the first term of Bush, which is insane. Yeah. It was, it was nine, it was nine months before nine 11. It was January, 2001, you know? Yeah. None of that had even happened yet. When 9-11 happened, I was still behind a desk. And and that's another part that made me mad because I'm a New Yorker. You know, this, this is this was my hometown that that they attacked. And I had all these agents going uh, to, to the airports to do security, going across the country to Logan, to JFK, to LaGuardia, to to the, uh, what is it? BWI, Reagan, uh, the airports in D.C., I was still stuck behind a desk. I couldn't do nothing. I had to sit there and answer phones. And um, and my mom was in New York. My mom was in New York at the time. She saw it happen. You know, when it, when it happened, I had gotten home from a midnight shift. And it was 8 o'clock in New York, 7 o'clock there. And I got off at 7. So it happened at 8 something. And I was just getting into bed. And she called me. And she was all panicking. And then all of a sudden, and, and I turned on the TV. And I'm looking. And I thought, you know, it's happened before. A small plane tries to fly in between the towers, doesn't make it. And uh, I'm talking to her. And then all of a sudden, I hear her scream. And she goes, another one. And then all of a sudden, I saw it on TV. I heard it first on the phone. Then I saw it on TV. And I hauled ass back to the station. And they said, yeah, we're, we're under attack. And then, the, pen, and then uh, the Pentagon happened. And we were just getting ready. And I couldn't do anything, Ian. I had my hands tied. And it just drives me crazy because in the Coast Guard, I, I consider, even though it was a military, I consider myself a public servant because we went out and did rescues. We went out and did, you know, boating safety and all that kind of stuff. In the Border Patrol, I just continued on the front line protecting the country. And now I couldn't even go back to my own hometown to do what I was supposed to. And it was just a shitty, shitty feeling. And even, even though I got a pardon, I got all my rights back. Yeah. Well, I got all my rights back. My got my firearms disability way uh re- removed. I got I can vote, I can run for office, I can do a whole lot of things. When I apply for a job, unless it's a government job, I don't have to say I was a convicted felon anymore, which was yeah. a big handicap that I had before. I was in the oil oh, field. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I would get to this level because I'm a you know, I'm I'm educated guy, got two degrees, I got experience. I got honorable discharge, but I would get to this level and I couldn't get into management because I was a convicted felon, you know? So now I don't have to do that anymore. However, um, I got a real estate license from the state of Texas. I'm an armed security guard 
and I'm an armed personal bodyguard here in the state, licensed bodyguard here in the state of Texas. They won't let me go to a police academy. They said they said I got convicted. I got forgiven for that conviction. And, but but it still stands. It's still on my record. So I have to get everything expunged because it doesn't, it forgives me, but it does not exonerate me. I can understand it. I don't agree with it. So I'm still trying because I will be a police officer. If it took me 20 years to get a pardon, it might take me 20 years to become a cop again, but I'm going to be a cop again one day. And then people say, why do you want to be a cop? Dude, I, we need good cops. I'm a good cop. Yeah. And I, I know for you, you know, to have a goal in mind is, is really important. And you're someone who's always been goal driven during this whole time. And, you know, the ultimate goal was getting this pardon. So fast forwarding to everything that's happened since it's weird because you would think that this was going to be like your big redemption story and the best time of your life. And it was temporarily Right. Um, but then I think the first thing that happened, and I hopefully I'm right on the order, is your mom passing away. No. Okay. So then it was the battle with COVID. I, I'm yes. mixing up, yeah, two yes. different things. And I remember Chris saw you days before then, and mm -hmm. yeah, you were hospitalized with COVID. I I uh, I got back from the event with Chris, and it was a great event in Florida. Uh, Tanya was there, the kids, everybody. Um, it was a great event. We raised money for his foundation. And when I got back, I was feeling, I wasn't feeling too great. And it was like a week and a half, like a week later, I started having a little itch in my throat, started having a little mild fever. I said, man, I don't feel good. So I went to By the, the way, I'm just going to throw this out there. If we happen to get knocked off or anything, it's storming very hard out here. So that might right. be why. So just be aware. But anyway, keep going. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. So I went to the VA, got swabbed. They said, go home, start this z pack, and uh, we'll call you the night. We're really backed up. We'll call you with the results. They called me that night. I ended up being positive. I had been taking care of my mom for two years, uh, two years at the time, a little over two years. She was 88 years old. She had some bladder cancer, dementia. And let me throw back here a little bit. The whole thing about me getting a pardon when I was with my mom, it was great because she had some dementia. She wouldn't remember. Every time I told her she got a pardon, she, I got a pardon. She got so happy. So she enjoyed it like five times. Wow. That's, that's wild. <laughs> yeah. Really? You got a pardon? Yeah. So anyway, so my, um, my, my grandma Eve was like that because before she passed away, she was, it was kind of the opposite. She was forgetting that her husband died. She mm -hmm. was like, what, what, where is he? Why hasn't he come to visit? So yeah, that happens. You know, and it was getting rough with my mom. I mean, because I, I'd have to shower her and everything. And she, even though she was 88 years old, you try undressing an 88 year old woman that doesn't want to be undressed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was difficult, but, um, um, so I came back, the VA called me that night. And like I said, I had like a mild fever, 99, 99.5. The next morning, Ian, I woke up freezing. I was, I was shivering, freezing, and I was soaked in bed. I had 104.8 fever. I couldn't think. I called my friend Christy. She says, you need to go to the doctor. I said, I can't. I got to take care of my mom. I can't leave. I can't drive. I don't feel good. She called me an ambulance. They came in in like hazmat suits, started doing EKGs on me. They're like, you need to go to the hospital now. I'm like, I can't. I got to take care of my mom. They're like, if you don't go to the hospital now, you're going to die. So I called some friends, come take care of my mom. I got to go to the hospital. I don't remember talking to my mom. I'm pretty sure I said goodbye. Um, 
I don't remember. My brain was frying. My brain was frying. And uh, I remember pulling out of here in the ambulance. I remember turning the corner and everything started getting really white, like an overexposed picture. And one of the guys in the ambulance was a lieutenant, not the guy taking care of me there. He was just standing there. And I was like, Lieutenant, I said, everything's getting really bright. I think I'm dying. I think I'm dying. Next thing I know, it was three weeks later and I woke up paralyzed. Mm. I couldn't move. I got traked. I got traked. I, my hands were swollen. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what time. I didn't know. I saw a nurse walking by. I tried to talk. And then I realized I couldn't even turn my head. All I could do was move my eyes. And it took me weeks to be able to like even move my hands like this. I had to learn to. So when they put me on a ventilator, they put, when they put you on a ventilator, they put you, they induce a coma, right? Apparently I was resisting the sedatives and I was trying to rip the tubes off. So they induced paralysis. So they loaded me up with like fentanyl and six other sedatives. I got a list of them somewhere, six other sedatives, one of them being fentanyl. And they literally paralyzed me. I had to learn to walk, had to learn to feed myself. My hands were shaking. I mean, I could, one of my biggest achievements was being able to unwrap uh, a cough drop. And then once I unwrapped it, I couldn't even eat the damn thing because I couldn't lift it to my mouth. So I mean, Ian, I was literally paralyzed. My, I had lost all my muscle. I was 215 pounds when I went in and I was like 166 when I woke up. So uh, my friend, my friend Kim was taking care of my mom. And when they told her I was awake and she had come to see me and she didn't tell me the first day, which was, uh, which would have been tomorrow. She told me the day after that my mom had passed away and I couldn't talk. So I couldn't oh, even, I, I couldn't, I couldn't cry. She, she says I started, but, t- but you were able to acknowledge it. You knew. I don't remember. I don't oh, remember. Okay. I don't, I, I don't remember any. When I, when I woke up, I was in a whole I was I was having these vivid daydreams, man. Vivid daydreams about Yellowstone that it was for real. <laughs> I thought it was real. I thought I was uh I thought I was in uh, um in Guatemala rescuing child traffic children in a, in a Black Hawk. I mean, but it it was so real, Ian. I could when I think about it, I remember seeing the rivets on the helicopter. You know. But none, none of it was real. And, and I swore to her that it was. I'm like, yeah, I've, I've, I've made about a million dollars since I've been here in the hospital. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, bring my laptop, you know? And I wasn't talking. I was, I, I was trying to spell everything out. And sadly, it, it wasn't true. I didn't make a million dollars. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I, I have to ask, man, like, I, I, and it's not something I've asked you when it was fresh because it was like, you know, yeah, we just wanted to see you recover. But I have to wonder, like, in retrospect, and I know you did not get vaccinated. You f- figured this isn't going to affect me that much because for most people, it didn't affect them the way it affected you. In retrospect, do you think it would have been the better option? To get vaccinated? Yeah. Um, I still wouldn't have. I still won't. You know, my, my antibodies are through the roof now, but I still. Now they are. Yeah. Just, oh, for sure. I just, don't, I just don't trust it. It's not that I don't want to get vaccinated it's just i don't trust the vaccine <laughs> you know what i mean it, yeah it's not, it's not the problem of you know the government wants you vaccinated there's nothing political about it with me it's just i don't trust the vaccine now now 
they're saying that the Pfizer, um, the Pfizer vaccine has caused more miscarriages in women than in the past uh, year and a half than anything else. Numbers are skyrocketing. Yeah, I, I just think, I guess, from my perspective, I will say that like two of the people I know were hospitalized, which include you, that didn't have pre-existing conditions, that weren't elderly, is really you and Cavino from Cavino and Rich. He didn't have the uh, the fight that you had, but Cavino was also openly not vaccinated. I, I don't think it's coincidence, but I also think at the same time, we have to remember with COVID, and this is something that the government refused to acknowledge, the strand that you had of COVID is very different than what's going on right now. Right. If it wasn't, there's no way someone elderly like, you know, President Biden would be able to survive. Right. So I just wish that they could acknowledge that these are different strands and that we we actually don't know enough. But but we just know that there's not the uh, amount of people being hospitalized right now, like when you were. But right. Thank thank God you got better, man. I mean, because I think for a while there, people were wondering, like, man, Gary conquered the number one thing in his life, which was getting a pardon. And is he only going to be able to experience this joy for a year, pretty much? And then is that going to be the end of it? But Ian, Ian, yeah, I didn't fight for 20 years to get a pardon to die from no China virus. <laughs> All right. Not well, it was happen. scary, too, because to be yeah. honest, you were you were taking videos of yourself and putting them up. And I remember Chris and I being like, why is he even putting this up? Like, I don't want to see I Gary. Remember like that. Yeah. I don't, apparently, I had conversations and I said goodbye to a lot of people. On my phone, I don't remember any of that. That 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 was before I went on the ventilator. I don't remember any of it. And 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 once again, I just I just got to say the Fourteenth Hour Foundation. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If um if anybody out there gives to to uh nonprofits and and five hundred one c threes, Fourteenth Hour Foundation, saved my life. It's been they they were amazing to to everything that I needed. I, they took total care of what everything that I needed them to. And when I woke up, I was panicking. They had everything covered. They said, don't worry about nothing. How did, how did you get your health back in terms of getting your weight back up, getting, you know, moving around again. And I, I assume you're working out again, doing all that type of stuff. Cause you're, Oh, you're not. Cause you look fine. Well, <clears throat> Ian. So um, when I got out of the hospital, I had a walker. I couldn't walk. I had a walk. I had, I needed a walker. Uh, I could take a few steps, but I had to sit down. If I went to Walmart, I had to take it with me because I needed to sit down whenever, whenever I got tired because I couldn't walk very far. Um, I went through three phases of six weeks of physical rehab of just uh, PT, PT and uh, occupational therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, rolling this way, rolling that way, getting my strength back. Um, squeezing, squeezing sponges, uh, put my hands up, um, tippy toeing, you know, just regular PT. And, it, and first six weeks wasn't helping me. The next six, the next, uh, session helped me a little bit more. I did three sessions and, um, my weight started coming back gradually, but man, I could not breathe. I don't know if you heard me talking here. I'm still taking deep breaths every now and then. So uh, just recently, within the past two months, I, uh, I've been going to the VA. They did a couple of CAT scans. I'm suffering from long COVID now. Long COVID. I got a deep infection in my lungs that doesn't let me breathe. 
and I get tired really fast. My heart rate is really accelerated, right? Really accelerated. And it comes to find out I got, I got a moderate amount of fluid around my heart. That's causing my heart to harden. So they started to put me on medicine for that. That stopped it, it, it stopped it from getting worse, but they can't fix what's already happened. So my heart's apparently my heart's beating fast because it's trying to expand and the fluid around it's not letting it. So it's just, you know, it's it's basically panting is what it's doing. They can't work on my heart until I get the infection under control. I've got a bad infection, deep sinus infection, deep in my sinus cavities. Man, when I can't even tie my shoe without feeling that my forehead's going to explode from all the pressure in my sinuses. And that's, it's all post-COVID. It's all, so that's what I'm dealing with now. Um, I had, uh, I had tried to apply for an, for an agency uh, a few weeks ago, Texas DPS, Texas Troopers. And um, I did the mile, I was supposed to do a mile and a half run. You run? Yeah, I, not I'm not like Chris, but yeah, I run I run moderately. I, I have done a half okay. marathon, but yeah. No, yeah, I'm not talking marathon. I'm talking mile and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I do get my runs in when I can. I do get my cardio in, sure. All right. So for my age, I'm 55, going to be 56 next month. For my age, I was supposed to do the mile and a half in 1455. That's doable. Yeah. Right. Uh, last time be. I did, last time I did did for time was in 2018, right? Uh, 2019, right before COVID hit. And I was doing uh, 1238 mile and a half. Not bad. Um, in Border Patrol Academy, I did it in 1038, but that was 24 years ago. Sure. So I started running. It was six laps around a quarter mile track. I got halfway around this track. Hamstrings. I was like, oh, damn it. I'm dead. I'm dead. I got a flat, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I pushed through it. I uh, around lap three and four, my, my lungs started getting to me and uh, I thought I wasn't going to make it, but I kept pushing through it. And around when I hit lap five, they called out 1410. I was like, man, I got 45 seconds to do a quarter mile. I said, all right, I better focus, give it all I got and start charging. So I started going full sprint. I got about 30 yards. I was like, okay, that's a bad idea. That's, that's a bad idea. So on my last turn, which would have been like a NASCAR would have been turn four. My last turn before going to the uh, finish line, I hit my time. So I slowed it down, just jogged it. I missed it by 40, by 40 seconds. So I ended up doing it in 1535, which for not running for three years and having all these issues. Hey, at least I, I can't believe I actually made the mile and a half. Yeah. So I just said that to my doctors. They're like, don't do that. Your heart can explode. I'm like, sure. well, and they're like, I'm like, well, thanks. But uh, life is good. It's not fair. It sure as fuck isn't easy. But life is good, man. I've, I, I was face to face with it. I thought I was dead. I thought I was dead. I thought I was gone. And, you know, I've, I've been in my share of gunfights in the patrol. I'm not by no means a combat operator. That's that's not me. Um, but I've stared they I've stared death in the face quite a few times between gunfights, car accidents, whatever, ex-wives. <laughs> <laughs> but uh this terrified me. This COVID terrified me, and I wasn't afraid to die. I didn't want to die like that, you know. And waking up and being paralyzed. Why 
Why God wanted me to know what it felt like to be paralyzed, I don't know. But it 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 changes a man, brother. It changes a man. And it's just, I enjoy life every day. I still have the same problems I had before that. Now I just don't sweat the small stuff, man. I just try to enjoy every day. Absolutely. So for people wondering, what are you doing now? What is your everyday life? Um, I do some personal security here and there, and I'm still doing some real estate. I got a day job just uh, just so I can pay the bills and focus on it. Because I was doing all right with real estate before COVID. But uh, when I got out, I couldn't concentrate because that COVID brain that you hear about, that COVID fog, it's real, bro. It's real. I've uh, I've been in several situations where I've been thinking about somebody, you, for example. I, let's say I was thinking about you and I know who you are because we know each other, right? I know who you are. I see your face. I know what you do. I can't remember your name. And I can't look you up in my phone because I don't remember your name. Mm, yeah. And 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 it's just, it, that happens all the time to me that like I remember a place. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that was in, you know, uh, Hoboken, New Jersey. But I can't remember. Hoboken, New Jersey. And it, it, it happens, man. It's, it's, it's crazy. And it's, I couldn't focus. So I took on a job at a company I used to work for. I'm the, uh, I'm the terminal manager, uh, transportation manager. It's a petroleum transport company. So I'm in charge of the drivers, the trucks, the shop, the mechanics, and basically everything operational. So it's, That's it's awesome, man. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a good gig. Not what I really want to be doing, but you know, I like who I work with. They treat me good. And, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't want to go back to the oil field, but is what it is, man. And I'm still doing real estate on the side, trying to get into full-time security once my health, you know, uh, gets better. I mean, I, I do it, but if I got to chase somebody down, I'm, I'm going with Motorola. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just, Motorola. I, I think for now, you're just, you know, what you aspire to do, it's going to have to shift a little bit, or at least That's for it. now. And and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And as you said, you're making a living now. You don't have to worry about these the, the felony. So yeah, it, it, I mean, your life has drastically changed for the better in terms of all that. I mean, if people are watching the video, they see the studio in the background. Uh, or Dave Bray, who's been on the podcast, is up on display. But it looks awesome. It is way cooler of a setup than I have or Chris has. Um, it is you no, know, it just is factually. So. People are probably wondering, you were doing a podcast. Are you, uh, is there anything going on on that end of things? Yeah, I'm still doing the podcast. I'm not doing it before I was putting out two episodes a week. So I was like eight episodes a month and it was, it was really cranking. Uh, since, since COVID, I haven't been doing it as much. I put out about an, an episode or two a month uh, just because I'm busy. And also the guy that uh, my, my co-host that does it with me, He's in the same situation like as Tank. He's, he's, he's got some stage four cancer. And I re just really don't like doing the podcast that much without him. When he feels good, sure. he'll send me a text, say, hey, podcast. I'll be like, let's go. You, you know, and, and we'll throw one out. But, uh, but I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm still putting it out there, just not as much as before. It's the Gary Brugman podcast. Find it everywhere, including iHeartRadio, YouTube. And um, it's just, it's just I do everything. So with all the, everything I got going on, I just don't have the time to edit and 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 produce and all that stuff as much as I did before. 
before yeah, but the fact you're still mom. doing it yeah the fact you're still doing it is important and and people you know love to hear your perspective on things i think you have expertise on a lot of different things and you also keep it fun you're you're a fun guy and and you 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 um you cover a wide array of topics i i would love to come on sometime and if i'm ever in texas i do want to see the studio itself I, I was going to ask you, man, uh, do you do you have to get going here? Because I wanted to ask you a couple more things, um, but I'm I know good. you have to. I'm good. I'm good. Okay, cool. So we'll just go a little bit longer. But you know what yeah. I wanted to ask you about? This is totally off the topic of all that stuff. And I think it's important that people heard the whole background and the story. And like I said, go back, listen to episode 11 if you really want to hear in depth. But like, I do think overall, this is a great redemption story and uh, and just a, a story of of fighting again and again in life but getting back up um so here's here's what i wanted to ask you uh now that we're off of all that stuff you and i love to nerd out about music about different things going on i spoke about this a little bit when we had jimmy allen on the show i have to wonder for you as a guy who lives in texas who loves texas who loves metal what do you think of this uh what they're billing is a pantera uh, I guess reimagining or reunion. Well, we anybody who's a metal fan knows that the Abbott brothers are no longer with us. Right. What, just, what do you think? You know what? I would love to see it. I agree. I would, to, I would love to see it because it's just Pantera is one of those bands, Dallas-based, you know, Texas-based that just rocked. Man, they when they went in there, they just destroyed everything that happened. You know, I mean, it was just fantastic, and you know. Dimebag and 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 Vinny were great people. Um, I never met Dimebag. I, I met Vinny a couple of times, but uh, just to see the band back together, so the fans can get some more music, man, it's freaking fantastic. It's fantastic. I can't I, I can't wait till it happens. Yeah, I would love to go out to one of those shows. They picked the the, the perfect people, really, when you think about it. I think between Zach Wild and Charlie Benanti, mm -hmm. that those would be the guys to pick. Yep. And that's who's doing it. And uh, I saw the Charlie during an in-store. That's awesome. Yeah, I got to interview Charlie before, but I, I saw during an in-store, or not an in-store, but meet and greet, I should say, people were asking about those who criticize it and say it's not Pantera. And he's like, well, it never will be Pantera. But oh. he said to those people, just don't go then. You know, and and I agree. If, if you have a problem with it, don't go. There's plenty of people who are going to want to see it. It's the closest thing you're going to get again to Pantera. I know it's weird for some fans because uh, at the end of his life, Vinnie Paul was asked time and time again, are you ever going to do anything that's billed as Pantera again? And to him, he said, when my brother died, that's when Pantera died. So I don't think his opinion would have changed. But nonetheless, if Phil and Rex want to do this, Though I think the only thing that uh that rubs people the wrong way, and I do understand, maybe instead of calling it Pantera, call it a tribute to Pantera, a reimagining of Pantera. Because when yeah. you see the billing of on the billing Pantera, for one, there's those people, you know, and I'll call them out like Chris, because Chris is one of those guys who loves the music, but he'll be like, Oh, Dimebag Daryl died. I didn't I didn't even realize yeah, that. Exactly. So there's people who be like, Pantera's in town, I'll go see it. For you and I, like we live for this music or right. nerds for this music. We know it's not the original members of Pantera. It's not the original four guys, but it's, it's just the closest thing you're going to get. And I'm sure it will be a hell of a show. But brother, like, like check it out. It's a different, it's a totally different genre of music. Right. But like the New York dolls. All right. Dave Johansson, you know, the whole early glam scene, you know, never, never got to see the New York dolls. 
right? A bunch of them died. Johnny Thunders died. Uh, a bunch of them died. It was only Sylvain and David Johansson that were left of the New York Dolls. They reformed the New York Dolls with uh, my buddy Sammy Yaffa from Hanoi Rocks, a couple of other uh, musicians, another guitarist, Steve Conte, and uh, Ryan Delaney, who's a drummer. And they toured as the New York Dolls, and it was David Johansson and Sylvain Sylvain and three other guys. I mean, it, it, to me, it was the Dolls. <laughs> you know, it's what's left of it. You know, they may not be Pantera, but they're what's left of Pantera. If anybody's got the right to use it, they do. You know, I, I know I know it's not them. It's not Dimebag, you know, but they were part of the original band. And, you know, that I don't know if they have rights to the name, but dude, they were in the band. Yeah. And they have to at this point if they're doing right. it, you know, and, or they had to sign off with the families. I would imagine for you, Pantera, them blowing up might have been an interesting time for you, because I know that you were living in L.A. You were involved in that whole L.A. And people hate the term hair metal, I know, or glam scene or whatever you want to call it. But bands like Faster Pussycat, bands like L.A. Guns, mm-hmm. uh, Guns N' Roses, these are bands that you had a personal relationship with. Mm-hmm. You were friends with those guys. Yeah. And other than the big names like the Guns N' Roses, who are immortal, I feel like when mm-hmm. Pantera came on the scene, people always talk about the grunge scene wiping out that scene. But I'd say for the heavier stuff. This band came out, as you said, out of uh, Dallas and out of really Phil is from Louisiana. So out of uh, uh, New Orleans as well. And they kind of killed that Los Angeles scene. When I first heard Pantera, it, it, it was like, you know, the whole, whoa, <laughs> you know, it just, it just blew your headsets off. And it was the, 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 the heaviness of the band was just incredible. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to steer you this way. About. Of mine had turned me just turned me on to a to another podcast, and the guy's name is Evan Seinfeld, right? Oh, from uh, Biohazard, right? Right. Yeah. Well, well, that name sounded familiar to me, and I was like, man, I I I think I know this guy, you know, and and he's my age, and he lived in he lives in he lived in Canarsie. I lived in Bushwick. We both rode the L train, and I I saw Biohazard a bunch of times, and I was like, I know who this guy is, and he's starting to mention names. Uh, Scott Koenig and then the uh, Def Jam Records with Russell Simmons and Rick Rubens. Those guys used to hang out in the metal bars all wow. the time back at, at the at the Cat Club. So I'm at the Motley Crue concert last week and um, I'm sitting there and I found him on I found him on Instagram. So I sent him a message and he wrote me back. So I'm sitting there at Motley Crue and I'm freaking messaging with <laughs> Evan Seinfeld. He lives in uh, Tulum, Mexico now, and oh, wow. he's got bunch of hip-hop stuff DJing down there and he posted some pictures and just this morning I was like dude I need to see this in person he's like yeah 100% bring it (laughs) you know so I might be going to Tulum Mexico real soon to hang out with Evan Seinfeld and uh dude because I loved Biohazard man Biohazard was another heavy band and it was they were fantastic man and you know back in the day how old are you Ian I'm 36 yeah you would remember (laughs) (laughs) we had Lamore East and Lamore Brooklyn Right? I know of you know what I know of Lamores. I didn't know there were two different Lamores. There were three. There were three. Oh, wow, that I didn't know. So so there was there was Lamore Brooklyn, which was the original, and that's where bands like Agnostic Front, Biohazard, Nuclear Assault, Metallica, Megadeth, all those guys, and they had glam bands went through there too. Fast Pussycat, Zebra, they all played there plenty, but that was the hardcore base. Lamore East, that's where all the pretty Motley Crew girls used to go hang out, you know, <laughs> and but still. Motorhead played there, Biohazard, Nuclear, Metallica. They all played there as well, same owners. And then in Comac, 
Long Island, they opened another one. And we used to call and that one was called a more far east. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was far east. And that one was cool. Not much, not much went on there. It was like a club in a strip mall. You know, it was there for a while, but Lamore East and Lamore Brooklyn were freaking icons. And then on Wednesday nights, you had the Cat Club in New York City on 13th Street. And See, I didn't know that. I, I when you said that, I'm thinking of like the Cat House, L.A. No, 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 the Cat, no, the Cat Club in New York City. If anybody who's anyone was uh, Wednesday nights at the Cat Club, I mean, everybody was there. Eric Carr used to hang out there. He used to hang out in Lamore East as well. Um Everybody was there. That 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 was our. And it was our homes. That's what we used to do. That's where we used to hang out on the weekends and the weeknights. The only night we really had off was Thursday, you know, because Friday and Saturday night was the Moors. Sunday was the limelight. Monday was <laughs> Raw. Tuesday, I forgot what it was. We had something. Wednesday was a cat club. Thursday, there was nothing happening. <laughs> how did you? How did you even work if this was your weekly life? That was my work. That oh, was okay. security. Well, I had a, I had a day job. I had a day okay. job. I, you know, I, I drove tow trucks and did marble and tile and you know whatever. So you were but working I, security at all these places? No, no, no. I was, I was, I was a stagehand. Okay, got you, got you. Tuesday, okay. Tuesday night was the Ritz. That's why it was Tuesday night was the Ritz. And you, and you were, you were in bands too, right? No, no, no. Okay. My, my cousins were. My cousins were. I, uh, I, I was a tour manager, stage manager. I drove my cousins' band all over the country. Um, I picked up a couple of tours with other bands going across the country. And um, but basically, that's what I did. I had a bunch of friends who all knew how to put together music and like Lamore used to be like, hey, we got Motorhead coming. We need a couple of guitar techs. We need a couple of say, OK, you guys go and I get paid for it. Wow. You, know? yeah. you you've done some amazing things. Like if people hear your story and, and it's stuff that you wouldn't really think are connected from Border Patrol agent to Coast Guard to like being on the metal scene and hearing these venues. I love hearing that stuff, because even for me. There's so many venues I went to 10, 15 years ago that are no longer there. Right. And I think it's so important that we have these small venues, at least for me. I'm in Connecticut now, but I, you know, I'm going to a small venue tonight on Long Island to see my friends Kings of the Ring, the first uh the first uh wrestling theme song cover band. They're they're celebrating their 10th year anniversary. But uh yeah, Amityville Music Hall, and there's very few uh, of the venues I, I grew up going to shows to that are still there. So right. yeah, it's important to support the local music scene. If you've got one anywhere near you. And the, the last note on Pantera that I think from, from that scene of what you were into looking back on videos, cause I was too young at the time. I realized that a lot of the bands from that scene, they weren't fans of the grunge era. They weren't fans of Alice in Chains and Nirvana and all that. They felt like it's what wiped them out. It's what made them uncool. But I know that those bands actually looked up to Pantera. If you listen to the Motley Crue 94 album with John Karabi, if you listen to a song called Smoke the Sky, you could tell that is them doing their best Pantera. There's right. a band that I, I love. Another song. Oh, absolutely. There's a band that I love called Shotgun Messiah, who is, do you remember them? Bobby Lycon with the bass player. He's a friend of mine. Nice. Okay. Yeah, Dude, yeah. I, I discovered them probably a couple years ago. I love, I love their stuff. Lord, yeah. And I, as yeah, as you know, I'm a nerd for this stuff. So when I discover a band, I'll have to look back at the old interviews and, and all the old footage. And I realize as their career was kind of they went from this glam look to a little bit more of a street look. 
in mm-hmm. interviews, they're like, oh, we're trying to do something that like Pantera is doing. You could tell that they idolize those guys. I know that the guys in Poison were fans and friends of Pantera. So I think Pantera in a lot of ways bridged that gap. But during the 90s, the fact that they had a number one album on Billboard, they were like the last band standing that was cool doing something extremely heavy because even Metallica by that point in the early nineties had changed their sound. Yeah. They had gone more, uh, you know, you think of the black album, it's a great album, but it was more commercial. If someone told you like Pantera, and I believe it's far beyond driven would be number one on billboard, something that heavy. It's unbelievable because there's nothing commercial about the music they were doing besides maybe one song here or there, like cover of planet caravan, but overall, it was as it was the heaviest thing available in the market. Yeah. And, and just again, seeing them live, seeing the power that freaking Vinnie Paul hit with those double, those double bass drums. And man, it's oh, yeah. just, it's just sick. You know, nobody, if you never saw Pantera live, I never, did, I got to. No, I said, wait, if you never have, you never, see, you never see another. I saw them at the Nassau Coliseum, man. They were, I did too. Oh, really? Were you at the same? Were you at the same show? Because we may have spoken about this. I, the only show I saw, because I'm probably one of the youngest people who got to see them, uh, was the Extreme Steel Tour at yeah. Nassau Coliseum. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, you 90- were at it with Slayer, Static X, Scrape, Morbid Angel. Yeah, dude. I, I do. Uh, man, I can't remember his name. COVID brain, freaking a Morbid <laughs> Angel with freaking friends of mine as well. Wow. Do, do you remember everybody like rushing down to the pit, the, like? jumping out going from out of their street Dude, seats I, I i was one of those I, people but then they they put me back in my seat there in I, I thought security was gonna have a conniption i was like oh shit this hasn't happened since judas priest at the garden <laughs> <laughs> i sort of saw the same thing happen at a rage against the machine show at nasa coliseum you so you were living in brooklyn back then well um early let me think this was 2001 it was it was actually if you're thinking of the same tour, because uh, I'm not uh, sure, because this this may have been after your I, incident. I, I saw that at the Coliseum earlier than that. Okay, okay. So I saw at the Coliseum earlier than that. It was it was in the '90s when I saw him. Yeah, this was 2001. Because I'm I'm thinking of the dates, and when you were saying 9/11, this was m- a couple of months before my 9/11. Yeah, no, 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 no. I was there. I was there in the '90s. Okay. See, because during a lot a lot of my rock and roll stuff happened in the '80s. And then I went to the Coast Guard through most of the 90s, Border Patrol all the way into the 2000s. And then once I got out of the joint in 2006, man, I was working at Harley Davidson one day. I had gotten out of prison. I was working at Harley Davidson's at parts counter. They were doing some special with some rock and roll band that was playing. That was, uh, you know, they're going to come and meet and greet, but they were freaking late. And I'm walking and they said, you want to wait for him? I said, yeah, I'll wait. It ended up being LA Guns. I was like, Tracy, <laughs> you know, and then we connected and and then he kept coming back out. Then Faster came out and I know Tammy for a long time, but I hadn't seen him since the 80s. And this was like, you know, 2007. And uh, he goes, hey, how you doing, man? Tammy down. I was like, Tammy? Yeah, <laughs> black hair. He was he wasn't blonde anymore. I was like, oh, he's still one of my best friends. I, I just saw him a couple of months ago. Uh, I got a friend of mine who loves him. He's like, dude, they're playing Austin, Houston, and San Antonio, and he owns a bar in Eagle Pass where I was a Border Patrol agent, and they play down there, and then, and then they're going to play my bar. So I saw him four times in like a week. You awesome. know, we, we, we cooked out for him. I uh, saw Tracy. They were on tour with Tom Kiefer. 
I mean, it's a good time seeing those guys again. Ace Von Johnson, who's a guitar player. Uh, funny story. Um, the drummer of Faster, Chad Stewart. Um, one he, he always tells me, he says, dude, one of the first times I ever hung out at an after party at a hotel with a with a rock band was in the 80s in my cousin's band, Smash Gladys. And he goes, it was you and your cousins that brought me up there. And it was like, he was a little kid. He was like 16, nice. 17 years old. <laughs> that's that's so cool. That's a cool yeah. story, man. And it's, it's cool that you got to like live all of that and then do something as, you know, as J and I know you've been on a show as Jason Piccolo says, as a protector, as right. you, know, you were one of the protectors of, of this country doing what you did. I know that you have to hit the road. Um, the last thing I want to ask you about is uh, I, I just figure for people going through what, what, what are you looking at the time here or? No, 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 no. I was trying to make sure I, I didn't forget nothing. Okay. Cause I, yeah, I know that, that you said you got to be on the road in a little bit, I'm, but I'm, um, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Well, the, the last thing at least that I, that I wanted to make sure that, that I ask you is for anybody going through some type of a struggle in their life right now, um, whether it's something minor or it's something as major as what you went through, um, where they feel like this is their, at the end of their rope. They don't know how much more they could take. I think you're someone who could really speak to that of what you've gone through, not only in prison, having the felony over your head, then what you went through with COVID. I mean, you are a guy who just gets back up so many times as we've covered in this past hour. Ian, I'll tell you what, honestly, everybody always tells me how, how big and strong I am and I've gotten through all of this. I wouldn't have gotten through all of this if it wasn't for people like Chris, like my friend Kim, like my brother Kevin, and I'm leaving out a whole bunch of people. It's your, your son, right? I mean, you have a good relationship now with your son. Uh, yeah, yeah, my 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 son has been awesome, even though he didn't talk to me for a little while. But but yeah, my my son's been on. He lives up in Austin now. I'm, I invited him to my gig that I'm going to go speak at tonight. You know, um, I've become really good friends with Chad Prather. You know, you know, um, country singer ran for Texas governor. I was on his campaign. I know a lot of people. And if you're going through a hard time, you just need to reach out. Do not go through it alone. Do not go through it alone. I'm, I'm one of those. You know, I, I, had a, I had a girlfriend one time. She hated it. He goes, why are you always putting your business out there? I said, because I need my friends to work through this, you know. And my problem with her was she would just shut down. You can't talk to her. She doesn't want to talk about it. You can't do that. You can't bottle everything up inside because you're going to explode. You're going to yeah. explode and it's not going to be good. Reach out. There's people out there that care. Everybody cares about you. Reach out to me. I don't know you. Reach out to me. I'll talk to you. We'll try to figure this out together. I'm not that hard to find, you know, but it, life, uh, once again, and I, I can't say it enough. Life is not easy. Life is, if, if life was easy, man, everybody would have it made. You know, it sure as fuck is not fair. Life is not fair at all. Just, be, ju just because, uh, you know, you think you're entitled or you think you're owed this, that. No, it don't work that way. You know, you need to fight for it. But life is good. Being alive is good. Being with your people are good. Being with your family is good. You know, um, this country, this country has its problems. Even with this administration that's in place right now, it's got it's got its big problems, but it's still the best place in the world to live. It's the, there's people on the other side of the world that don't give a damn what's going on in this country right now. They want to be here yeah. because we, we, we're, we are, um, we're spoiled. 
we're spoiled with the things that this country offers us offers us we don't like we don't like this administration i don't like this administration why because i want better <laughs> you know there's people that can't have better i want better there's people that can't have better no matter how hard they try you know but life is good ian life is good i i'm i'm glad you're in my life i mean we we talked on the phone no, not too long ago man and that was a great conversation man and, and that recharged my batteries when we talked no that that means a lot man and uh, you know I feel the same way when I speak to people who are positive or people who have gone through things that that reminds me that whatever I'm going through at that time is not the end of the world, that you don't right. need to blow it up um, and you don't need to just focus on what's going wrong day in and day out. And a lot of us do that. And um, actually, my best friend the other day, we every time I call him or he calls me, we end up having to allocate a time where we're going to go a full hour because anytime we talk, it's just that way. Right. And something he said to me that resonated with me, he's like, man, every time that we talk, it's not about politics. It's not like whining about the same bullshit that I hear when people call. He's like, we talk about really important things in our life, in our life. And like, I feel better. And I, I definitely do try to be that person that if you're going to talk to me, um, that, we're going to have a good conversation. And I could see that you're that person too. Um, you know, whether it's just us nerding about nerding out about eighties hair metal or yeah. us talking about like deeper things in life. And um, yeah, meeting you truly was a blessing in any of these people in my life who, who add something, but you know, for a while I, I walked around with the uh, bracelet for first Lieutenant Michael Behenna. And he's the guy who shot a terrorist in self-defense um, and he was doing time in Fort Leavenworth. And to me, it was a reminder that like things can always be worse. What he's going through right now for doing something that he felt was the right thing to do at that time. And now he's paying this crazy price for people who seem to think that the military makes their decisions from. And I remember Jack Murphy saying it, but like the Starship Enterprise, like you got that's not how it works. You got to make decisions at the very last second, which is yep. what you had to do. And I think for people to judge it, um, you know, there's a big difference between people who have had to go to jail, whether it's in Border Patrol or the military, where it's some premeditated thing where you could say there was some sinister action here. And what you had to go through where you have to make split second life and death decisions. And I think people who don't know what that's like need to have some some compassion and some respect right. for the people who do put their life on the line, because most of our jobs, we're not putting our life on the line, you know, and, that, and that's why I realized I've had things with recording where something didn't record right. And it's the end of the world for me. And I realized like my job is not the job of a board patrol agent. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or a police officer who who works in a high crime area. You know, they're, those are the people who really, you know, they, they have to go through hard things every day and right. that make that, that allow us to have our freedoms that you're speaking about. So yeah, anytime I speak with you, it, it means a lot to me as well. You know, and, a lot of people say, how, how do you get through this? And, and, and I love this because you need each other to get through it. You can't do it alone. You cannot do it alone. And take, take what the government's doing right now. Look at what they did to Bernard Carrick, the 40th police commissioner of New York, Mayor Giuliani, the, the mayor of New York City during 9-11, General Flynn, um, even Donald Trump, the president, what chance did I have as a Border Patrol agent out in the field? I can't take on the federal government, you know? And what's gotten me through all these years are the connections that I've made. And I'll tell you one more thing, brother. Um, 
I've had a lot of people come into my life since this happened. And I've pondered this all the time, Ian. I ponder this all the time. I have a lot of people in my life that I adore. That I can't picture my life without them now. Don't get me wrong. I would much rather have not gone to prison for two years and been able to retire as a, you know, border patrol agent because in 13 months, I turned 56 next year. In 13 months, I'd have been mandatory retired. That would have been 34 years of service. I'd have been set for life, you know, instead of having to struggle and work and get up at two in the morning and hustle, hustle, hustle. I, you know, I had my life planned early on and something happened, but had that happened and I would have been living a good life, I wouldn't have these fantastic people in my life right now that have actually changed my life for the better. So what's the trade-off? You know, it's, it's, it's like life is not easy and sure as fuck isn't fair. You know, had, yeah. had, I, had I had a great life and, and been able to retire and stuff, I wouldn't have my friends Ed Handy. I probably wouldn't have you because I would never have been on these podcasts, you know? Uh, just so many people. I would never have known Sarah Carter, who's one of my best friends. Laura Ingram, Bernard Carrick, who's one of my good friends. You know, do you, do you feel like any of this is predetermined that it's God's plan that you have to go through like the worst of the worst things in order for you know to fulfill your purpose as as a human being, the reason you're on this planet? Yes, yes, I do. Um, I had my purposes mixed up for a while because you know I was married to beautiful little girls, right? That sure. daughter, right? I was I was really happy being married. I loved my wife, loved my stepdaughters. It's one of their birthdays today. Um, oh wow! Oh, and and and, uh, and I thought that everything that happened, the whole trial, the whole losing everything, losing my career, going to prison, having to walk around with magazines and newspapers inside my freaking shirt so I don't get stabbed as a federal agent in prison, all this stuff. I thought. You know what? This happened because I was supposed to be a husband and a father to these three girls. And then I fell apart. So now my whole purpose went out the freaking window. So it's like now, now what? And that kind of messed with my head a lot. I'm still trying to kind of like unfuck myself from it. You know, life is good. It's not fair, but it's life. And God does have a purpose for you. I haven't realized what mine is yet. I'm trying to make everybody as happy as I can and bring joy to a lot. I want to bring value to people's lives. I want to be out there and serve. I'm a, I'm a servant, you know? Um, but yeah, it's just, life is crazy, Ian. <laughs> life is just full of surprises for you, you know? Yeah. I'm going to throw a twist on you here in a minute. So, so I took a spill on my bike a few weeks ago, right? About a month ago. Oh, nothing major. Know. Yeah. Yeah, not, not, nothing major. I, I, was, I took my bike out for a ride. I was a little stressed out. I said, you know what? I'm just going to take my bike out for a ride. Went riding. Had a great time, was going to meet some friends. And um, and I got to an intersection and cars were stopped. It was like three lanes. Dude, and I tapped the brakes. Next thing I know, I'm sliding down the freaking road. And, and my, my arm was up here and, and, I, and I hurt my shoulder. And I'm sliding down the road. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Right? So I get up. And when I'm trying to pick up my bike, my feet are sliding back and forth. There was like diesel or oil on the ground. So I, I slid on oil is what happened. So my buddy that we went, that owns that bar in Eagle Pass asked me what happened. I kind of told him. Next thing I know, I get a text from Ricky Rackman. He goes, did you go down on your bike again, stupid? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, I hit an oil patch. I laid it down. He goes, 
what the fuck, man? I said, it's okay. I think I just broke my collarbone. He goes, just broke your collarbone? <laughs> he goes, he, he goes, it's amazing you didn't get struck by lightning. I'm like, dude, I'm cool, man. It's good. <laughs> he was so mad at me, man. It, it's it's good that you have that attitude about it and that you're getting back up once again. But man, that is that is wild. And I didn't know about that. Um, it was, but- I took a spill. I, I actually picked up my bike and, 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 and rode off. And I was going to head home, but I was actually passing the bar that I was going to go meet my friends at. So I stopped and had a drink and then went home. I don't, I mean, I've never driven a motorcycle, but I feel like if I went through what you did in terms of having to walk again, having to like make a fist again, I don't know if I'd be back on the bike as quickly as you were. That's it's uh, yeah. Uh, it wasn't I'll, that long ago that you were hospitalized. I'll always have a Harley, man. I may not be able to write about, I'll, I'll, I'll always have one in the garage nice well it's uh so for for the audience garybrugman.com definitely check out the podcast at gary.brugman on instagram um anything else you want to make sure that we hit on because uh i think i originally said we'd go an hour and uh, like i said i know you got to get going here but i got uh, a little speaking engagement up in austin that's Um, awesome man and it's just excellent to connect with you again for sure Bro, I love being on the Battle Line podcast. It's one of my favorite things. Episode 11 is definitely the best episode you ever had. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, the next time we have you on, Chris will be back on. This kind of worked out this way. Uh, he's been pretty busy himself, so. Which yeah, is a good no, thing. It's, it's all good, man. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's, it's been a pleasure as usual. Um, cheers to y'all. I've been taking my little cough medicine here. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Uh, God bless you, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me, bro. I mean, remember, this is America, man. This is our country. Um, we can't let nobody take it. You know, it's going to go up. It's going to go down. We, we're not seeing anything that this country hasn't been through before in some time in the past 200 years. It, we may not see a change in our lifetime, but it will change for the better. You know, so just just keep the faith and we need to look out at each other, man. We're Americans. Yeah, be proud. Of, you know, it's be the, proud of being a freaking American. Absolutely, and and you know, it's the, the and I said the last thing probably uh, twenty minutes ago, but the, the last right. thing I was just thinking of that that we didn't mention as well is although you didn't meet President Trump at the White House, who I know you're a big supporter of, you did end up getting to say to him, "Thank you for doing this." You did end up oh, meeting him. So, 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 I, so I did send you that little video. I've seen it. No, I, you, you posted it at one point. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so it was pretty. It was pretty awesome because he was down here in Texas, Sarah Carter. It was a private town hall. There were like 150 people tops. And um, I didn't want to be. It was the end of the show. Sean Hannity was there. Governor was there. It was in McAllen, Texas. I didn't want to be the guy yelling at the president. You know, I didn't want to be like, yeah, that's the president. You know, <laughs> but everybody was yelling. I was like, I can yell. He was eight feet in front of me. I was like, I, I got to say thank you. So I, 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 I busted out those lungs. Mr. President. You know, and, and and he acknowledged me. I said, thank you for the pardon. And and he says, oh, you got a pardon. I was like, yes, sir. Best Christmas present I ever got. And he goes and, and he asked me how many years did it save? I don't know if he re- he didn't know who I was at, at the moment. So he's like, how many years did you save? I said, well, it was 20 years ago. And he goes, boy, he's got to like me. And I told him I was a Border Patrol agent. He said, what's your name? I said, Gary Brugman. He goes, oh, I know you. So that's awesome. after that, I was like, thank you. I'm, I'm done. And dude, after that. The DPS was there, Texas uh, Department of Public Safety. Fuckers started giving me coins. Chicks started giving me their numbers. <laughs> <laughs> that's that, See, that's why I wanted to make sure I mentioned that, because that truly is that you got to have that moment of redemption yes. of saying 
thank you for doing this. However, one day I am going to end up at Mar-a-Lago and thanking him personally and be like, dude, you changed my life, Mr. President. Not dude, Mr. President. <laughs> you <laughs> changed stuff, he, he, because he did. And I don't care what anybody thinks about Donald Trump. All right. Donald Trump is my president. Donald Trump gave me my life back. Donald Trump made my mom the happiest woman in the world. And I mean, good or bad, he can't do wrong by me. So, And that's that's completely understandable coming from your perspective. So, right. yeah, man, well, we'll do this again soon. And, and you can always call me anytime, as you know, of course. I usually do. <laughs> yeah, oh, one, any, more, one more, one more yeah, thing. Yeah, go for it. Go one for more it. thing. Um, my buddy Dave DeVito in Chicago wanted me to tell you he said hello death metal 231 i think something like that oh yeah that guy's awesome yeah he's, yeah, he's yeah. reached and he's been listening since the very beginning yep he, he's, he's a really good friend of mine um he he's been listening to my podcast we, we shout him out on our podcast all the time he's like he's like joking about hey don't let me get the, the veto after you <laughs> <laughs> nice, so nice he told me to shout he told me to tell you said hello so i figured i'd shout him out oh okay. yeah that's all for this episode of the battle line podcast but we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoparanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never quit. quit.